Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome back to the No Ratings Podcast. Firstly, I want to very quickly apologize. We haven't uploaded in eight days. I know people will get upset about it, but it's been the festive period for you guys. Some of you guys have been celebrating. Even those that haven't, me being one of them, it's just a time when I just put my feet up, watch every Christmas film going. Uh, and then I realized, oh, shit. I was like, well, we haven't uploaded in eight days. We need to get back on it. Uh, so we are back with the insight. Uh, Villa United, Rice is with us as always. Uh, and we have a, a, a newcomer to the podcast. And, and honestly, you can't see his background, but everything is claret and blue. Uh, Neil joins us. Neil, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Absolute pleasure. Please tell us about your podcast. Yeah, so so my podcast is called For the Love of Paul McGrath, um, which has a kind of a double meaning to it as well. So if you can't tell I'm an Aston Villa fan, um, although maybe you couldn't, maybe you might think I was a, I was a Manchester United fan or a Sheffield United <laughs> fan or something. But um, no, I'm an Aston Villa fan living here in Ireland. And obviously... Um, uh, the the namesake of the podcast, Paul McGrath, is my one of my sporting heroes. Um, when I was a kid growing up, he was everything to do with the, with a great Irish team that we had, and he was everything to do with a great Aston Villa team. And uh, I do have a nice, uh, there's a nice anecdote that I, that I tell, and, and it is true about um, following Aston Villa. I follow Aston Villa because. Here in Ireland, we were in an absolutely brilliant position up until maybe about 20 years ago where we got three o'clock kickoffs. Um, and I remember watching Aston Villa play against uh, Crystal Palace and I didn't know either of the two teams. It was only maybe about six years, seven years of age. And uh, one man stood out in the field because the ball was drawn to him like a magnet. And that was Paul McGrath. And ever since then, I've been I've followed Aston Villa. And um, yeah, he's just been 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 a really, really, really huge kind of influence on my on, on my following of football. Uh, please, even if you're not a Villa fan, go check out the podcast. Neil, I've only spoken to you for two minutes and I feel like I could listen to you all day. <laughs> so even if you're a Sheffield United fan, United fan, go and listen to the podcast. Uh, Ray, you're with us as always. I'm going to start with you first. Um, Manchester United Villa, United come back, of course. But the reason people are here is to hear why that happened, how that happened. Uh, what were your what were your sort of tactical takeaways from the game? Well, I think Garnacho being out on the right is something which United fans have been a bit hesitant about. You know, he's someone who has been perceived as being a specialist left winger, cutting in. 
And whenever he's started games, either out on the left or the right, he struggled. Or when he has play, played out on the right, he struggled. And United were looking for a down-the-line threat to play ahead of a Wan-Bissaka because that makes more sense. Wan-Bissaka sits and then you've got someone who holds the width down the right-hand side. And we haven't really had that type of footballer. We had Anthony cutting in, but then he's got no overlap in support of him. Um, Pelestri can do that. So tactically, Pelestri was the best option. But quality-wise, he just hasn't got the quality to do anything with it. And so yesterday was the first time we saw a blossoming of Garnacho in that right-sided role. And because Digne provides the overlap for Aston Villa, there was a lot of space left in behind for Garnacho to target. But the issue that Aston Villa had tactically is, OK, Digne is pushing forward, but who's the left centre-back marking that space that Garnacho is going to go into? Longley. And uh, I'm sorry, Neil, but I think Longley is a, is a really distinctly average footballer, not someone I've particularly rated when I've seen him in a Barcelona shirt for example. So I think that's that was a big, weak area for Villa. And I think Garnacho pretty much exploited him. That's what, for me, changed the game. He wasn't the most average average centre-half we had in the field yesterday, I don't think. And that's being really honest because uh, I, I thought he was actually OK. And I, I think the, the issues with regards to, to Garnacho stem from further up the field. I think I think Jacob Ramsey um, was very much so out of position. He was dragged inside to look after. Dalat and Wan-Bissaka at times in the first half came really narrow, like like Spurs do and like Pastacoglu does with his, uh, with his full-backs. I suppose really the Philip Lamb role is, uh, as, as would be, as I call, it, I suppose I don't know does anybody else call it um, but uh, and I think that really kind of threw Aston Villa off it threw Villa off against Spurs when we played them earlier this season and then they, they reverted back to, to the fullbacks going going back out uh, into their traditional positions again um, when they made a couple of substitutions later on in the second half I think Dean, you going off was an issue for Aston Villa. I also think that Ramsey wasn't uh, wasn't positionally correct uh, for an awful lot of the game. Just, just touching on Neil, Neil's point because he made a really good point there. Because of the type of system that Villa play, which is it's, it's almost like a diamond. It's like very narrow. And in football, obviously, eleven-a-side football, you have to shift across from one side to the other side very quickly, and the whole unit from one to eleven has to be able to shift across quickly. It's a lot more difficult to do that when you're playing a narrow setup. And if you do that switch of play quickly and that midfield unit hasn't come across quickly enough, basically that fullback will always be exposed because normally, let's just say 4-4-2, you'd have the fullback there protected by his winger ahead of him. So that winger ahead of him would make it like a 2v1 or 2v2 type of situation. But when you've got a narrow diamond setup and you've played that switch across, that fullback is isolated. Now, I know Rashford had a lot of the ball and I think he did all right, but I think... Konza versus him, tactically, it makes sense as a battle because Konza is someone who can handle 1v1 type of defending. But on the opposite side, Digne's best attributes are naturally more going forward. So when you've got Digne isolated against, say, Ganacho, who's in good form, suddenly there's a there's a potential there for chaos from Villa's perspective. And, so, and, and yeah. another thing, you're, you're dead right. And how Villa don't traditionally fix that, what you mentioned there about um, about you know one-on-one defending, specifically out wide. Villa don't fix that by usually by loading an Aaron, Aaron, Jacob Ramsey over there onto that left-hand side. And the big piece here was Bubakar Kamara was missing. Now, I thought Dunker was fine. I thought he was good. He ran out of gas all right. But Kamara slots in as a right-sided centre-back. Uh, when when we're in defence, he almost he, he, he pulls back into that right-sided centre-back position. Um, 
Kanza obviously being there would filter would in this instance yesterday tried to filter across. So once again, our back four were getting narrow when Rashford had the ball and Dino was gone up the field. So Bubakar Kamara not being there slots in and it creates nicer spacing between our centre halves. Obviously then Dino Longley would have been a lot closer together. You have a lot more opportunity then to get your blocks in, to get get um you know to 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 create and block passing lanes, crossing lanes and quick and quick balls across the field. Just on Kamara and I want to tie it in with um your love of Paul McGraw really because I being a United fan and a lover of history, like Paul McGraw was almost like a mixture of like Yapstam with Rio Ferdinand, right? Like he was a top, top intergenerational level centre-back slash could even play holding midfield role. And the greatest thing about Paul McGraw is the aura aspect. And I think Kamara, even though he's a young lad, he brings a lot of aura to Villa's midfield. It's almost like he can put the foot on the ball and really slow everything down and the game becomes a lot more manageable when he's there on and off the ball. And I think we've seen a lot of teams being linked to Douglas Luiz or Arsenal want Douglas Luiz, etc. But for me, the standout player in that midfield is Bubakar Kamara because I think tactically, aura-wise, he's the one that for me has the higher ceiling. Luiz is more of a, I wouldn't call him an auxiliary player, but he's someone who joins in at the right time. And because Emery's created this system where he joins in at the right time, suddenly he's become quite a prolific output player in terms of assists, goals etc but he's not someone that can really run and control the narrative of a midfield and especially away from home where Villa traditionally have those struggles if you've got Kamara missing it was going to be a very tall ask to expect Douglas Luiz to run that on that point like there's a lot of times where you looked over to Unai Emery and he was screaming calm like he he, I think that's probably the first time this season and uh, Neil you probably can correct me on this if I'm wrong first time I've actually seen Emery uh, lose his shit um, <laughs> at very tiny details because normally, I mean, Emery is a very expressive coach anyway. But there's a lot of times in that game where he's screaming for. I think I think he was saying to Dendonka a couple of times, "Get it and pop it." And I think Villa have done that quite well this season where they've tried to control games and it really helps off Paul Torres in there because technically he's a he's a bit of a joke of a centre back, exactly. um, and he provides that control in possession. The moment you lose control of a game against Manchester United, that's the only way Manchester United can win football matches at the moment, where you have someone like Bruno Fernandes pinching the ball of Douglas Luiz for that, um, that I think, the, the Ganacho's second goal, possibly. Um, no, the first goal, where Bruno Fernandes pinches in front of Douglas Luiz, finds Rashford, and he puts it across to yep. Garnacho. Correct. That situation doesn't happen if you have Kamara picking the ball up or... If you have two midfielders who are happy to receive the ball, I don't think Dendonka particularly wants to. He reminds me of McTominay in that way a little bit. He doesn't really want the ball in that area of the pitch. He he almost sometimes wants to be like a box crashing midfielder, but he doesn't actually have the assets for that either. Absolutely, Um, you're you're right, and that and that was where the knock on effect then to our centre half partnership was uh, because Unai Emery is going to if he picks you to play centre half, he's going to. expect you to be able to start those triangles in midfield he's going to be able to expect you to be comfortable receiving the ball in the six-yard box from your goalkeeper or wherever you know so it's uh he, he wants you to be comfortable our two midfielders there as you mentioned then donker not the most comfortable receiving it um with, especially with his back to the play and douglas louise was being dragged very far out uh, on the other other side to look after an Ericsson or a Fernandez at times, and then to try and get back into that position was difficult. So um, once again, you've you've hit the nail on the head because it caused that consternation. Longley, I thought was was the better of our two centre halves tonight. Obviously, if you've got Pau Torres in there, and you've, I think I. I 
Maddie Cash being out as well was a bit of an issue because um, I would have liked to have seen Pau Torres and, and Kanza inside in the two centre-half positions in this game. The amount that we start uh, with Pau Torres of, with regards to attacks, the raking balls he plays. I thought Longley did okay. I thought he did it at about 80% the level of Pau Torres. But having Kanza out there on that right-hand side, as you mentioned, he did okay against against Rashford. I'm, I'm not critical of him at all out there. He's been one of our best players. But as a right-sided centre-back, he's just a different beast altogether. I and think I, when you when when you play him at right-back, you're playing him as a, like a Wan-Bissaka type right-back. Exactly, like, yeah. Just win tackles, basically. And actually, I think Kanza is a much better footballer and has a better football IQ than just yes. go and win tackles at right back. Right. Um, right. Just very quickly, Manchester United obviously won this game. Um, a rare victory. <laughs> what, what, what was your takeaway from Ten Hag? Because I think um, a friend of the podcast, Danish, posted a thread about uh, Ten Hag. Uh, only when United press are they actually effective, uh, which did happen in the second half. Um, but the two halves were completely chalk and cheese, classic United. But what happened in the second half to change that? Well, I think Patrice Evra kind of called it in the halftime punditry where he said he predicts United to win 3-2. And I think the reason why was nothing really drastically changed. It's just that the errors just kind of dried up on our side and we were just able to be a bit more clinical with our chances in the second half. I don't think anything tactically majorly was tweaked from one half to the other. It was just, I wouldn't say it was luck. Like I think we did deserve the win, but it was just, we suddenly clicked into gear in terms of things finally started to just come off. I think even with Ganacho's first effort, which got ruled out, like it was coming. I felt like it was coming. And I think Villa fans probably thought it was coming as well. Like as a United fan watching that, obviously I watch most United games these days without any, Without any emotion, like I watch it thinking we're just going to lose or whatever. But with this game, weirdly enough, even though we were 2-0 down, I wasn't thinking effing and blinding this. I was just watching. I was thinking, I, I feel like we can potentially, if we get one goal, the momentum's going to be be with us. There's also the Rashford performance. But you've been on here before and you've spoken a lot about Rashford. Yeah, but and... With Rashford, like, you've got to realise with this win, right? A lot of United fans might think, oh, it's, but it's a typical United bullshit where it's like false and stuff. <laughs> like, I'm not watching that game thinking, oh God, this is the turning point now. United are going to become some tops. It's nothing like that. It's just they put on a decent performance. Um, and I still think United have within that quality of squad to be a top six team, even without with all the chaos going on. They could even finish top four. But do I think that game in terms of ta tactical long-term trends, there was a massive change that's going to change the whole course of United under Ten Hag? No. Just on Rashford, I think it was a typical sort of Rashford game where he looks game-breaky. And what I mean by that is he's creating chances, he's creating chaos. But then there's like 10 times where he's just lost the ball so stupidly, Rashford. And I think to be a top, top player, like a world-class player, you need to be able to do that, but also know how to keep the ball at the same time. And there needs to be like that perfect balance between progression and retention. And I think I'll take Rashford if you're if you're if you're if you're getting rid of Rashford, I'll take him at Villa. No problem. Take Absolutely him. no problem there. Take him because I, I want United to become fun. Obviously, this is no disrespect, but being a United fan, like you're expecting European Cups, you're expecting Premier League yeah. titles. Anything less is simply not good enough. And I don't think Rashford is the type of footballer that will take us there. I don't. 
know, you know who you just described a per, a player that's got um almost like an equal equal equilibrium between being chaotic and also being very good at making decisions. Ollie Watkins this season has been that player. I've always found him really frustrating, and maybe Neil, you'll disagree, but I've always found him someone who snatches at chances and he's a bit rash in front of goal. Um, and often when he used to score, certainly not this season, I'd find him scoring goals where I was like, he scuffed that or it's come off his shoulder. Mm. Whereas this season, I feel like he's a little more refined and Neil doesn't look convinced at all. So maybe I'm... No, comp- no I'm, 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 agreeing, I'm agreeing in certain aspects. Yeah, I, like, I've always been the conductor of the Ali Watkins fan bus um, ever since he came in the door at, at Villa Park. Um, I think one of the biggest things with Watkins is, and Villa fans will, will agree with this, is his one-on-ones have been... At times, up to this season, really, you know, you tear your hair out at, at the the amount of one on ones that he he hit straight straight at the goalkeeper. This year, I think, what the interesting part for for Watkins is is um, he's scoring goals, he's assisting goals, he's all around the field work is just so impressive. Last night, now he couldn't get on the ball at all. It was very frustrating. I do think, uh, and it speaks to what both of you kind of said there. Like uh, Raiz is saying that uh, there's no trends in this game that United can take forward or nothing that stands out. And you've basically said, Neil, that it was a game where all the trends that Emery normally had fell apart. And I think sometimes people forget the con- the context of football matches. Like in a lot of ways, I think this was literally like one team got it wrong. One team got it more right than usual. And it resulted in a 3-2 game. Like I think sometimes people go and, Ah, uh, like it was because of, because Ganacho. I think Ganacho on the right is definitely a nailed on point. But I think the contributing factor to that was Luca Dean and Longley were on the left, and maybe that's different if Paul Torres plays there and Luca Dean. I think there's a few elements there. I was just going to ask one thing to Neil because this is something I've been quite interested on in learning about: is um, your approach for home games versus away games? Now, obviously, everyone's talked about Villa being a lot more weak in terms of results away from home. From your perspective, obviously, you watch every single game in and out. What are the key distinct tactical traits which differentiate your home approach versus your away approach? Or is it just the fan factor which is proving to be the difference? No, it's it's not even the fan factor. And I, I think it's just the dichotomy between how impressive we've been at home as opposed to our away form. We're still sixth in the away form league table. But but I think the biggest thing is, and there is a, ta- there is a difference to it, um, I am convinced. I have nothing to base this on. I have no. This is just the. This is just an opinion I have. I've no statistical basis on this one. But Villa in the first fifteen minutes, specifically of away games, they like to draw teams on. They like to. They like to. Like we we had quite a lot of possession in this game last night under Unai Emery. That's what we like to do, and we like to see where people are going to commit quickly. In the first fifteen minutes in at home games, what we do is. I'm convinced that there's a 15 minute scripted performance. I'm convinced. I there's. There, I'm convinced there's a 15 minute scripted performance at the start of the game, because Aston Villa. You'll often see them. They probe. They probe in 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 three different areas, and they try to find the area which is co- going to cause the most consternation. So it's not like a case of um. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to feel things out at home. They do that away. But when they're at home. You can see it. They will go left. They will go right. They will go through the middle. They'll go back out the left. And they see where where the shift of formations are, like you mentioned, you know, how quickly people are getting to the right or to the left. And they'll try and find out where the areas are. And if they see that the person in the middle isn't moving quick enough, we'll go through the middle with a John McGinn or a Douglas Louise. If the person on the right isn't going quick enough, we'll put Bailey out there. We might move Musa Diaby out from beside uh, or beside uh, Ali Watkins. Or we'll put McGinn out there closer to that side. So... 
The difference between home and away is that I think that Unai Emery very much has scripted performances for the first 15 minutes at home. We get early goals. Last night was the first time we've conceded uh, we've conceded points when we've taken the lead in a game, which uh, was a huge feather in, in, in Emery's cap so far, um, considering we were the kings of losing, of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory previously. And the scripting of games that Unai Emery can do, I think, is, is, is quite impressive, specifically at home. And it's been a big reason... Uh, it's been a big reason as to why we, we got into seventh place last season. And it's been a big reason why we've t- taken that form into the season this year as well. Cheers, Neil. Um, very quick question before I let you both go. Obviously, it is tactical, it is insights, but I think there's a, an interesting topic here about United and Villa. A lot of people were saying yesterday which team finishes above the other one this season. Um, I personally don't take so much away from yesterday's game where I go, ah, oh, this is it. Like Villa are coming down and United are on the way up. Uh, but I do want to hear from you two where you think both these teams would finish in regards to each other. Right? So I'll start with you. Uh, who finishes higher and give me a reason, okay. United or Villa? So my original prediction before the season started um, was I thought United would finish higher. So I had United down as sixth. I had Villa down as like eighth or something. Um, I will still probably stick with that prediction purely because I think I think with Villa, I think the style of football is on point um, in terms of for that level of team. I think Emery is a tremendous Europa League, early UCL group stage level type of manager. Um, but I just think the squad is pretty thin on the ground. And I think the style of football is very like every player needs to be absolutely on the ball to make it happen. Whereas United are very wasted team in terms of they're not hitting anywhere near their talent level but I just think that with the Ineos takeover and I think if let's just say Ten Hag ends up losing his job Jan or Feb and there's a new caretaker manager I just think there'll be some kind of uplift of momentum and I reckon they'll probably end up sixth I just think the Prem in terms of that region between three to seven or eight is just very very competitive and little flows of momentum in terms of form and stuff, it, it's going to be massive. I think there's too many teams in that region that are just very competitive. So I wouldn't be surprised if Villa finish higher than us, but I just think United style of play, even though it's horrible, it's 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 kind of able to still grab results away from home sometimes if if they can just slightly have a bit more stability in the midfield and centre-back region. But anyway, I'll let Neil... Yeah, I... I've I've thought I think with Aston Villa the fact that it gives me a lot of uh, buoyancy is that we're on thirty nine points eight points more than than Manchester United and ten points more than Newcastle United as well who I would have seen as two big rivals coming into this season Chelsea haven't kicked on at all seventeen points ahead of Chelsea Chelsea have been re- still really like I would have expected them to be in the top four I actually think I predict them to finish third I thought they were just a match made in heaven for Pochettino but it just doesn't seem to be um, January is going to have a massive bearing on Aston Villa's season I, I was never the whole look would been I, I wanted Villa to beat Sheffield United so we could take a screenshot of Villa being on top of the table for, for Christmas That's that's that was the, the, the height of it for me I think Villa can finish fifth. I really do. But as I say, you know, loss of form. Our form has been so good that any blip like we've had at the moment, a draw and a loss, that's considered a loss of form for Aston Villa. If we can learn to beat the teams around us that we should, or the, the teams below us that we should beat, like the, the we've lost in Iron Forest, we've drawn against Wolves, we've uh, drawn against Sheffield United, we've drawn against Bournemouth, and no offence to any of those clubs, but the team was riding a crest of a wave when all that happened. So we do have blips. 
but we've still amassed we've we've still amassed thirty nine points already, um, and and a decent goal difference. So I'd be hopeful of fifth, um, for the, for this season for sure. I know for a fact, Neil, you watched Unai Emery's interview after the game when he said thirty nine <laughs> points. Thirty nine yes. is good. Thirty nine is good. Um, <laughs> I won't. I'll save my prediction. But there is a conversation that we need to have on the inside about Newcastle United. That's a conversation yeah. for another day because this season they're getting away with some things at the moment. Um, but Neil. Rice, thank you very much for joining us. If you missed, I mean, I'm not going to put this in the edit, but Rice has two daughters that are very desperately waiting for him to eat food. So we're not going to hold him any longer. <laughs> for you guys listening, uh, make sure you drop a like on the pod, follow the pod. Uh, check out For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast as well. Um, and we'll see you all next time. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist-approved, so fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.